0: Go beyond the headlines with the new MSNBC app, get real time analysis from live blogs to in-depth essays, video highlights from your favorite shows and the latest updates on the 2024 election. Visit MSNBC.com slash app to download.
1: Good evening, everyone. We begin the readout tonight with breaking news. The U.S. has launched new airstrikes against Iran-backed targets in Iraq and Syria in retaliation for a drone attack that killed three American soldiers. Here's the first video that we're seeing from the region, An Iraqi security officials said a U.S. airstrike targeted a weapons warehouse and three houses belonging to Khatib Hezbollah in Anbar province in western Iraq. The strikes come the same day President Biden attended the dignified transfer of the soldiers killed in the strike in Jordan that the U.S. has attributed to Iranian-backed militant groups. Late today, U.S. Central Command posted that forces conducted the airstrikes against Iran's Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps, Quds Force, and affiliated militia groups. U.S. military forces struck more than 85 targets with numerous aircraft to include long-range bombers flown from the United States. President Biden released a statement saying in part, quote, Our response began today. It will continue at times and places of our choosing. The United States does not seek conflict in the Middle East or anywhere else in the world, but let all those who might seek to do us harm know this. If you harm an American, we will respond. Let me bring in NBC News Chief International Correspondent Keir Simmons in Iraq, NBC News Chief Foreign Affairs Correspondent Andrea Mitchell, New York Times Pentagon Correspondent Helene Cooper, and retired Lieutenant General Stephen Twitty, former deputy commander of U.S. European Command and an MSNBC military analyst. care. I do want to start with you. I think it's important to know who these groups are, if you can uh, tell us who it is and why is it that they are located in Iraq of all places.
2: Well, <laughs> that's a good question. I mean, I think First of all, uh, this operation tonight by the U.S. is going to put the spotlight firmly on just how embedded Iran and its proxy groups are in this region, <clears throat> in Syria principally, but also uh, here in Iraq. Just the scale of it will tell you something about the scale of how Iran has, frankly, in many ways, taken over here, particularly in Syria, in in recent years. Now, uh, you mentioned Khatib Hezbollah, that group that... Uh, Was targeted. Now that is the group that is accused of carrying out the drone strike that killed those three uh, US service members at Tower 22. It happened in Anbar province, and, and that is along that border between uh Iraq and Syria, it's in Iraq, and then up to the border with Jordan. Of course, Tower 22 is there along that border uh, with Jordan. So so that is one uh target that we know about. And we're having to piece together here, uh, by the way, uh, what we're being told by the US and what we're hearing from reports here in the region that, that aren't confirmed, but to see, seem to make sense. Uh So there is that that part of it. Uh, and then there is another part of it inside Syria, uh, Ma- Maedin, uh province, uh, governorate. Now, that is a, is a place, and around it, that, that is a place where we also know that there are a lot of these Iranian... <clears throat> Uh, backed uh, militia. Uh, in fact, there is actually a Iranian base uh, along that line near that border, and and, and that again uh, it ha- appears to have been targeted because we know we've heard about the explosions there and things. In fact, uh, the, the Syrian Observatory for uh, Human Rights, which began during the Syrian civil war monitoring things, uh, says that there are 17 sites that have been targeted there. So, what more does that tell us? Well. <clears throat> It actually tells us too that while this is a powerful operation by the US tonight, it also it is also limited. It seems it may be the first wave, but we haven't heard about strikes, for example, around uh, Damascus uh, Airport, just as an example. And we know that the Iranian Revolutionary Guard is there. We we, we know that the Israelis have targeted places around uh, that airport, for example. So I think that what we are seeing is both an attempt by the Biden administration to send a powerful message to Tehran. And this is bigger than we've seen uh, for many years But equally, at the same time, it is a a limited message, a message we are hitting the places that we think are connected to the killing of those uh, U.S. service members. The hope will be that Tehran will get the message that the U.S. is prepared to escalate if it escalates. The danger is that Tehran will not shift from its strategy, which is to to, to put pressure on Israel uh, and also to try and push the U.S. out of this region. And just to to finish, talking about trying to push the U.S. out of this region, uh, here in Iraq, the risk is uh, that this action puts pressure on the Iraqi government uh, to actually do exactly that. Iraq is both a partner of the U.S. and a partner of Iran. And we have a statement tonight from the Iraqi uh, prime minister who is talking about these strikes constitute a violation of Iraqi sovereignty and undermining of the efforts of the Iraqi government and a threat that will drag Iraq and the region into unforeseen consequences. Now, we should just caveat that by pointing out that Iraq frankly the Iraqi government does face in two directions and it has uh, it is made statements like this before when the US has carried out strikes in Iraq and that's been pretty much at the end of it. But it does underscore the the Many, many complexities and challenges for the Biden administration as it undertakes this operation to try to shift the needle in terms of the way that Iran has been behaving it, it, during these recent years, particularly. And at the same time, not escalate to the extent you get a reaction from Iran and its proxies and then you, uh, things escalate further towards a, more of a regional war.
1: And and I will just note that uh, for our audience, you know, the supreme leader of Iran, Ayatollah uh, al-Khamenei, he essentially has a posture of avoid a direct war with the United States, Distance Iran from the actions of proxies who've killed Americans, but prepare to hit back if the United States were to directly strike Iran. I just want to stay with you, Kier, just one moment, because I think for a lot of people who sort of—if we could put the map back up—and we probably need like a bigger map because if you could just briefly explain what is the relationship here, because we know Iran has has proxies throughout the region, clearly in you know in Iraq, yeah, um, but also the Houthis who we've been talking about. Previous to this, who are the ones who have been, you know, um, you know, attacking shipping lanes, but that's far south. It's not even on the map. It, it would be far down there. It would be in Yemen. What is the relationship yeah. between yeah. the Houthis and this group, Katib Hezbollah, and Iran?
2: Well, they're different groups, but they're both Iranian proxies. These proxies are variously closer or not so close to Tehran, but basically they're backed by Tehran and and sponsored by uh, Tehran. And the, the, the strategy, the Iranian strategy, is to use these proxies to carry out these kinds of attacks that Iran then can't be blamed for. I mean, the distance there's a purpose in the distance; it's part of the strategy. So, so that's why uh, that's why you you see that map and that's 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 been the Iranian uh, policy for for a long time that you bring up the Houthis and it's a good point to make because of course one of the issues will be tonight that with the Houthis uh, the number a number of strikes i think we're getting towards 10 perhaps in Yemen against the Houthis uh hasn't stopped them from continuing to try to target commercial sh- shipping in uh, the Red Sea. So that is a warning that despite these strikes tonight, there is a question mark over whether the Iranian militias back militias here will will respond by backing off. And actually just this week, you saw one of the groups as an umbrella organization, Islamic resistance in Iraq. One of those groups said, we're going to stop launching these attacks. Another one today said, we're going to carry on. And we're going to carry on with our policy of putting pressure on Israel and trying to push America out of this region. It doesn't matter what you do.
1: NBC's Kier Simmons, always so valuable uh, to get the chance to talk with you. I'm going to thank you very much. Uh, and I'm going to go to Andrea Mitchell, my uh, colleague, my good colleague and friend, Andrea Mitchell. So we just we can broaden this out. I know that you were um, on the NSN, NSC call earlier, so you've got a lot of up-to-date information. I want you to sort of give us a sense of how the administration is thinking about this, because for Americans who recall that obviously we had a war in Iraq, it used to be a Sunni minority government in Iraq, but Iraq has always been a, a Shiite majority country that was governed by Saddam Hussein, who was not of the religion of the the majority, but it is a Shiite majority country, which is how it has an association and affiliation with Iran. Um, Talk about how this has all metastasized from attacks on shipping by one group, which is an Iran proxy, to now the killing of three Americans by another group, which is an Iran proxy. um, And how close does that bring us into direct conflict potentially
3: with Iran? Such a good question. The through line is Iran, of course. Iran as the sponsoring country that arms, you know, weaponizes all of these proxy groups, uh, that doesn't necessarily direct them. And the U.S. has been very careful to say that they hold Iran responsible because they back these groups, uh, that Iran could perhaps stop them and has not stopped them. But they are separate groups and they're separate in different ways. The Houthis are completely undisciplined and have been undeterred by all of the responses. Hezbollah has been actually very disciplined. We have seen tit for tats along that northern border. But the Hezbollah, which is part of the Lebanese government, has clearly not been wanting a direct U.S. versus Lebanon or Israel versus Lebanon war again because of the damage that ensued the last time that happened. I think the fact that Hezbollah did not get directly involved in an all-out war with Israel has a lot to do with the deterrence of sending those two carrier groups earlier in this whole process. And then, of course, there's Hamas, uh, which is divided. There are more militant Hamas leaders inside Gaza that were leading and orchestrating the October 7th massacre, and others who are more of the political wing that are stationed in Qatar and Doha and have indirect communication with the U.S. and Israel through Qatar, the Uh, The leaders in Qatar, one of whom, you know, Sheikh Mohammed, I spoke with here just on Monday when he was here in town. He was the prime minister and foreign minister. So you've got all of these other pieces involved in the diplomacy, which they hope can still continue. And Secretary Clinton is leaving this weekend on his fifth shuttle to try to end the the, uh, Gaza war, get massive amounts of aid into not only into Gaza, but to the people who really need it. For what's described by Blinken and others as a humanitarian catastrophe. They agree with the United Nations and also, of course, get the hostages back. Uh, Israel has its right-wing ministers in the most conservative coalition government that's ever led Israel. Netanyahu is speaking more to them to try to keep them in line, but has signed off indirectly, well, directly through his... Participants, the three Israeli intelligence leaders who were in Paris for those negotiations on that. So that's the diplomatic front. And of course, Qatar and Egypt were involved, the U.S. and Israel, you know, directly involved, and they signed that text. They're trying to preserve that. They're trying to avoid an all out war with Iran. They're trying to do that. Iran is supposedly trying to do that. So they have hit. The Revolutionary Guard, uh, Admiral Kirby and General Sims from the Joint Chief at the Pentagon were very clear on this call that went on uh, for quite some time, about 45 minutes tonight, with uh, all of our you know, reporters, all the reporters, the U.S. reporters, saying that they want to avoid widening the war. They went after uh, seven targets, uh, four that were in Syria, three in Iraq. They were... Uh, revolutionary guard targets and others revolutionary guard is part of the Iranian regime but it is not territorially Iran they used b1 bombers from the us refueled along the way showing that they and they were precision guided we- uh, weapons trying to avoid civilian casualties but uh, right. they were not avoiding uh, irgc leaders in the command and control centers clearly in those in those facilities, so there were casualties, but they say right. that they were avoiding civilian casualties.
1: And and uh, let me just so we can wide it out. Just so that uh, Helene Cooper, let me bring you in here, um, so that everyone can sort of understand sort of where the sort of state of play here. Describe and explain to the audience the relationship between all of this, all that has happened. From you know, obviously the Houthi attacks on Red Sea shipping were in response, and they say was a protest against what Israel is doing in Gaza. The drone attack that killed these three American soldiers, was that also an attack that was related to what's happening in Gaza? Because these questions of a wider war are whether or not Iran is now quietly backing, without doing it directly, forces that are attempting to pressure the United States and Israel. Have I described that accurately?
4: Uh, hi, Joy. Thanks for having me. Um, uh, that's one way to describe it, yes, and it's not inaccurate. Um, I think that uh, in the case of the Houthis, they definitely say that they're doing this, uh, their attacks on the Red Sea, uh, on shipping in the Red sea, Red sea in solidarity with the Palestinians in Gaza. And that is nominally the case uh, for the other groups as well. But I would say the Khatib Hezbollah and the other Shia militia groups, uh, that Iran backs. This is more, I think, a target of opportunity is a chance for them, uh, to strike at, uh, the United States while at the same time, uh uh say get get credit in the in the the Mid-East for 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 solidarity with the Palestinians i don't think they are as much in uh uh i guess i don't i would say i i don't really buy that as much as i do in the case of the houthis it's a really right. interesting point that we are at right now uh because the biden administration has been very clear from the start that we do not want a wider war. President Biden is the one who, you know, you saw uh, ended the the American presence in Afghanistan. He has stayed out of Ukraine. The last thing he wants in an election year uh, when he's facing Donald Trump is uh, uh, going into another war in the Middle East. Uh, But at the same time, These groups knew this as well, but the United States has been very clear that killing of, you know, we, the, the, uh, there've been a lot of attacks on american bases uh ever since the uh the israel gaza uh hamas war started uh but they haven't come with uh american troop casualties and that was a red line and you know there was there's some debate over whether uh um just how nervous iran got after after these troops were killed, you saw the Iran IRGC head, you uh, know, uh, say on Wednesday that Iran didn't seek a wider war. You saw Khatib Hezbollah put out their statement saying they were going to halt their attacks after that. There was a lot of going to ground uh, among a lot of these uh, uh, militia members and leaders because they knew once they crossed that red line, what was coming. And President Biden certainly telegraphed that the. That, uh, that this response was going to come. So, you know, this is a case of you you poke the bear and you eventually, this was always the fear because at some point you get uh, an American service member, You once you start crossing the line and getting American yeah. deaths, you're going to see a bigger response than the milder type of response you've seen so far to the Houthis who have not uh, been responsible at the, this point for any for American, American death. deaths.
1: Indeed. And, and that's why I want to bring you in here, uh, General, uh, Stephen Switty, uh, because the, the, it is so dramatically escalatory, um, to do a drone attack that kills American troops because it is clear that's, that's beyond poking the bear, isn't it? And so measure for us, um, the breadth of this response, um, and its appropriateness in regard to the fact that this was an escalatory act by these groups, Khatib Hezbollah, which I should note is not the Hezbollah in Lebanon. It's a different Hezbollah. I know you have to keep a lot of names out there uh, in TV land in mind, but this is a different Hezbollah. It's Khatib Hezbollah. Uh, Talk about this response and how proportionate it seems to you from a military point of view.
5: Yeah, first of all, if I could just quickly go back to the, the topic that we've been talking about we first have to understand that Iran is the largest sponsor of terror groups in the world. And they use these proxies and surrogates to carry out their strategic objectives and their malign activities throughout the Middle East. And these proxies also have their separate agendas within their own regions, whether it be the Houthis or whether it be Qatar or so forth, they also have their separate agendas. But at the end of the day, Iran funds, trains, aids these uh, proxy groups to carry out uh, instability in the Middle East. Now, in regards to the the strike, what I will tell you is uh, when you look at the grand scheme of it, 85 targets, uh, significant targets throughout the region of note, if you take a hard look at this, No attacks inside Iran, no attacks against the Houthis, no attacks against Hezbollah, no attacks against Hamas. So when you look at this in the grand scheme of things, it was pretty proportionate and went after the uh, militant groups, Qatab, Hezbollah, and also the Islamic resistance in Iraq. It also attacked the coup forces and their logistics sites, command and control, uh, their ammunition depots, their radar capability. These are the targets that hit at the heart of the three Americans that were killed. And I can guarantee you we're gonna wait and see and make a battle damage assessment to see how this all folds. And there may be restrikes in this, but we're also gonna look at Iran's response, Hezbollah's response, the Houthis response. I can guarantee you we have targets on the target list in case they decide to escalate things in this war. All of this we're trying to do as a balancing act to ensure that we do not ignite a war between Iran and the U.S. or create further instability in the Middle East.
1: Uh, Valuable voices, and I appreciate all of you for making time to help educate our audience and get everyone to understand what is going on. Uh, Andrea Mitchell, uh, my valuable friend, I so appreciate you. Helene Cooper, thank you. Lieutenant General Stephen Twitty, you all are great. Thank you. Stay with us for more on tonight's retaliatory airstrikes in Iraq and Syria.
6: We can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future. That's PlannedParenthood.org future.
1: Joining me now is NBC News national security correspondent Dan DeLuce um, as we continue to cover these strikes uh, by U.S. forces in Iraq. Uh, what happens next, Dan? What uh, what are you hearing?
7: Well, of course, they're not telegraphing exactly what comes next, but I think it's fair to assume that now that we've seen dozens of strikes uh, uh, in Iraq and Syria against these Iranian-backed militias, that at some point soon the U.S. will turn its focus on the Houthi forces in Yemen that have uh, created such a headache in the Red Sea and the Gulf of Aden for commercial commercial cargo ships uh, firing missiles and drones at those commercial ships with the U.S. Navy there trying to fend off those drone attacks and those missile attacks. Now, uh, so what we could see is a real uh, ramp up in strikes against those Houthis forces that are firing those drones and missiles in Yemen. Of course, they are also backed, armed, and financed uh, by Iran. The other thing I think we're going to have to look for is what will be the response of these militia groups that have just been Targeted by this pretty major operation today uh, on the ground, will they uh, go to ground? Will they kind of conceal themselves? Will they come out uh, and and fight and try to uh, retaliate and escalate further? What will Iran's reaction be? I think these are all questions because the dilemma, of course, Joy, as we've been talking about on the show tonight, is you know can the U.S. deter Iran with this kind of operation, or does this end up being something? Uh, where Iran then escalates, and we are up this ladder of escalation, and uh, we might end up in a war that maybe neither side wants a kind of Guns of August World War I scenario. Uh, too soon to say, but um, I-, I think we're going to see more airstrikes, definitely, uh, probably Tomahawk missiles at some point uh, air sh- uh, from, fired from ships there in, in the Persian Gulf.
1: NBC's Dan Deleuze. Thank you. Uh, valuable information. Thank you very much. Let's bring in former Deputy National Security Advisor Ben Rhodes. Okay, Ben. Uh, I love explainers. So, so can we put the map back up as we, we, we love seeing you, but I want to also get this map up one more time because I think for people to sort of understand what's going on and look at this map, you have this situation that begins with Hamas attacking Israel. Israel been going to war in Gaza. And then the reaction of that ends up being against U.S. and European ships in the Red Sea, which you can see right stripped down the middle next to Saudi Arabia, between Saudi Arabia and Egypt. So, shipping that really is European, Israeli, and American shipping, and now attacks inside of Jordan, you can see it right up there, that ends up injuring some 50-odd American troops and killing three. And so, just to have people sort of understand why it is that the U.S. winds up in this position, because it is, the U.S. is seen as the backer of Israel, right? So when it, whatever they do, people attribute it in some sense to us. And then Iran is the backer of all these little groups, two of them called Hezbollah, Khatib Hezbollah and a different Hezbollah, Hamas and the Houthis. Have I explained that correctly, that this is sort of the war? The, the, both are seen as proxies, right? Israel is viewed in the region as, in a sense, our proxy, and then Iran has these proxies, and they're directing them, maybe not directing them, but that's sort of how it looks.
8: Yeah, Joy, uh, you're right. And and to just build off of this a little bit, because it gets complicated, um, yes. but The October seventh, you have Hamas launch this brutal terrorist assault into Israel, and then you have this overwhelming Israeli military response in Gaza, which precipitates a humanitarian disaster. All of these groups are a bit different, right? You've got Hezbollah in Lebanon. You've got these militias that are backed by the Iranian Revolutionary Guard in Iraq and Syria. You've got the Houthis uh, in Yemen. What they all share in common, in addition to the fact that they draw some support from Iran, is that they all see themselves as at the vanguard of standing up to Israel and standing up to the United States and trying to push the United States and its military presence out of this region. So it's in the kind of DNA of these groups, when you have a war like what's happening in Gaza, it's in their DNA to start activating themselves. And so Hezbollah in Lebanon starts firing some rockets Into northern Israel, starts getting into tit for tat with Israel and Lebanon. Then these groups in Iraq and Syria, these militias, they've been fighting some of these dating back to the US occupation of Iraq. They started to attack US forces way back in the Bush years uh, when we were in Iraq. They've been operating ever since. When there was a Syrian civil war, some of these groups were fighting on the side of the Assad regime uh, against uh, the Free Syrian Army and some of the groups backed by the United States. The Houthis. Have been in a war for years with a Saudi-led coalition uh, that was seeking to dislodge the Houthis, and the Houthis proved quite resilient through that. The point is, all these groups, what they share in common is that they want to stand up the United States. They want to be a part of fighting back against Israel and what they're doing. They want to be chaos agents. They want to show that there's a cost that the world is going to have to pay, and that is the tax on shipping, so long as the bombardment of Gaza goes on. Iran is obviously an important actor here, Now, I think what is complicated is I don't think Iran is sitting there and directing them, hey, hit this base in Jordan on this day or launch this attack on the shipping in the Red Sea. That's not really how it works. It's not like a straight command and control type operation. They do provide weapons and money and other things to them. And so what the U.S. is doing now is they're essentially targeting this whole network of groups. Um, They're not targeting inside of Iran They're also not targeting Hezbollah in Lebanon because Hezbollah is the biggest and most sophisticated of these organizations, uh, and Hezbollah has been cautious, frankly, to not uh, target the U.S. either. We're going after the groups in the middle here uh, in Syria and Iraq, as well as in Yemen.
1: Okay, so this is great, and and now I want to do two more. Okay, let me do the next one, being um, the question for a lot of people, I think. We're now bombing Iraq. We were obviously we occupied Iraq. We had a war against Iraq uh, that uh, you know, a lot of people questioned uh, during the Bush administration. But Iraq used to be a country that was ruled, run by a Sunni. Uh, they, they thought it was an apostate, but a Sunni, right? Saddam Hussein. But it is a majority Shiite country. Iran is the biggest Shiite. These are the sort of different branches of of Islam, but the biggest biggest group on earth of Muslims are Sunni. But there you have Iran who are, Shiite. Hezbollah, I believe, is also a Shiite militia group. What about Hamas and Khatib Hezbollah? Is, is there that much of a, are, are they also Shiite groups? Is there any other link between them, the Houthis, etc., just on that basis?
8: Well, it's interesting that you point this out. It's an important point, Joy. The, the, the removal of Saddam Hussein was a massive gift to Iran because all yes. of a sudden you were going to have a Shiite-led government by and large in Baghdad in Iraq. And so a lot of these militias inside of Iraq absolutely they are shiite militias that have been fighting against the US presence uh and that have been you know associated and sometimes with aspects or elements of the Iraqi government uh, which makes things very complicated. Um Hamas no Hamas is a sunni organization. Uh what they share is opposition to Israel. Um And as Iran kind of established itself as the patron of different groups that stand up to Israel, they had this relationship with Hamas. It got a little complicated during the Syrian civil war because Hamas was not necessarily on the Iranian side in that one here. Right. Um, so yeah. the reason that, that what you said is really important, though, Joy, is people have to understand this is what's so dangerous. We're walking into multiple regional conflicts and yes. multiple wars in a sense, because there's the war that's currently taking place between Israel and Hamas and these other groups. Then there's this sectarian tension, the Sunni-Shia divide in the region. The reason that a lot of U.S. partners that are Sunni majority, like the Saudis or the Emiratis, Mm -hmm. don't get along with Iran. One of the reasons why is this sectarian divide. And so we're stirring a lot of, there's a lot of hornets nests that are being kicked up here since October 7th. And we're kind of now right in the middle of the, 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 you know, the swarm of hornets, if you will.
1: And I want to very quickly ask you to very, if you can answer these super quick, because we're, we're getting close to a commercial break. So there is the NBC News reporting that when Biden met privately with his national security aides this week, he raised the question to brief people briefed with the discussion said, if he ordered military action to avenge the deaths of these three U.S. soldiers in Jordan, would that jeopardize the delicate talks over the release of American hostages in Gaza? When aides eased such concerns, he decided he would proceed with military measures. Because amidst all of this, Ben, there is the reporting that the Biden administration is attempting to do this three-card Monty, this multi-box, make-it-all-work regional plan that could involve recognizing the Palestinian state, that could involve Saudi Arabia normalizing with Israel, and that could involve uh, uh, the release of all the hostages and a cessation of violence in Gaza. All that's happening at the same time that these proxy groups are hitting U.S. troops and killing three U.S. troops. Where does all that then go?
8: I think it gets harder, Joy. And and look, Qatar has been in the middle of this, not Iran, in terms of dealing with yes. Hamas and these negotiations. But the reality is it's a war. And the more you're kicking things up and the more it's escalating, they're going to have people in Iran that are not going to want Hamas necessarily to cooperate with a U.S.-led kind of initiative. You're going to have potential violence from Hezbollah and Lebanon against Israel, which might make Israel feel less inclined to stop its military operations. It just makes it harder if there's this level of violence to do things diplomatically. And I hope that we prioritize diplomacy here at some point.
1: Uh, it's always great to talk with somebody who knows their stuff, because I think this stuff gets really complicated and there's so many pieces and so many different groups to remember who they are and what they want. Uh, Rose, it is so great to have you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and more breaking news coverage ahead. Stay with us. Joining me now from the White House is NBC News senior White House correspondent, Kelly O'Donnell. Kelly, what's the latest you're hearing from the White House?
10: Good to be with you, Joy. I think part of what we will be anticipating now is what comes next. And part of that will include when daylight comes to the region, the battle damage assessment that the U.S. military will do. They're also reviewing video, as you know, when they carry out operations like this. A lot of the aircraft that the U.S. is operating with has video capability. They're also tracking the targets. They wanna be able to assess have they hit the targets as intended. We were told in a conference call with two senior officials tonight that they had selected the targets, mindful of a few key things, Uh, command and control, intelligence sites, uh, material directly linked to what we saw with the attack in Jordan involving the drone that killed three American soldiers and injured uh, a couple dozen others. What they will also do is once they have a better sense of that video, can some of that be made public? That is an expectation we have. And then once they also have the battle, a ground level assessment of the success of strikes, did they hit the targets as expected, that can inform what follows on after that. There could also be a different kind of component, a cyber capable attack Officials did not want to talk about that explicitly tonight because they, of course, want to be careful to not get ahead of whatever the next operations are. So we're in that phase now where uh, this initial st- set of strikes at seven different locations in Iraq, in Syria, uh, with the early assessments of believing that given the good weather, which was one of the calculations that officials made in terms of the timing, that after they get that assessment, Then we'll see how much further this goes and over what period of time. We know it will be multi-step. What we don't know is what that duration looks like in a practical sense. And as you know, Joy, that also gives a window for response in the region. And when we were talking to those officials, they said at least at this point in the last couple of hours, they had not seen any retaliatory strikes after this U.S. operation. Joy?
1: Kelly O'Donnell at the White House. Thank you very much. We'll be right back. Joining me now is Trita Parsi, executive vice president of the Quincy Institute and former State Department senior advisor at Naira Thank you both for being here. Naira, I want to start with you. I wrote down some notes here that, you know, for the U.S., as I see it, there are four sort of needs, things that, that, that they have on their on their to-do list. Avenging U.S. troops, which is, you know, the, 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 the stated purpose for this uh, attack uh, in Syria and Iraq. Um, avoiding a wider war. There is plenty of NBC news and other reporting saying that Biden actually measured that question of whether if he did this, it would, he'd be able to avoid a wider war and also still continue this hostage negotiation. And that's the third thing. Continue this diplomacy that the Biden administration has been doing in the region, trying to bring the hostages out. And also trying to find some way of creating normalization between the Palestinians and Israel. And I would add a fourth thing, and I hope you can just respond to all of that. Dealing with now the diplomatic dance with Iraq, a country that, you know, we once occupied with Iran and with the Gulf states. How does all that get managed?
9: I'm going to add in a fifth thing, Joy, and that is the domestic political context in which we still have people going on TV who served in the Trump administration and Bush one administration and two talking about things like regime change, which is what the project in Iraq and the project in Afghanistan that the Obama administration had to unwind, which is where we are right now with dealing with these diplomatic alliances as a way of protecting American national security interests, America's domestic front, by effectively keeping all of these issues overseas. And that's part of this idea of American deterrence, right, showing that working with allies in Qatar and Saudi and in Israel, what can be done to box in what everyone calls proxy groups, but what Iran calls regional resistance forces. And that gets the idea of The deterrence really hasn't worked. They haven't stopped these folks from doing any of this. There have been more than 160 attacks on U.S. uh, targets. No loss of U.S. soldiers until now. And so to retaliate to what is a reasonable response that now seems like the U.S. goal is going to be to try to degrade the capabilities of these proxies. The challenge with the effort to degrade militant actions or these proxy groups is, one, they're not directly controlled by Iran, uh, and two, you have this challenge of, ideology. Like what's what how does any of what the United States is doing get to undermining the mission? Right. What is driving and inciting these folks to want to take weapons from Iran and retaliate or use opportunities to get to the United States and Israel? And it is a fundamental difference and understanding of how the world should work, of how the Middle East should work. And I will say a- an idea uh, that Israel itself should not exist in that space the United States should not be supporting it. So there's never going to be alignment between the United States and Iran ideologically. But working with Saudi and Qatar and others and working to bring out a ceasefire in Gaza might actually take some of the wind out of their sails and allow the United States to breathe for a moment and make sure that we're not fighting a war on multiple fronts.
1: Yeah, I mean, the irony, um, I, I guess is, um, treat that- of you know, the existence of a Palestine recognized by the United States, as it is with 139 other countries that actually can stand up and is its own state in an ironic way would, would take the air out of a lot of the sales, I assume, in the region. You can correct me if that's wrong. Um, but it, there there are signs. The New York Times has a really great piece here that states that Iran doesn't want to be at war with the United States. They, you know, they, they, they are, they're happy to have their proxies do what they're doing um, because they essentially get the credibility of seeming like they're supporting The Palestinian people for free without doing anything, but they don't want a war. So, can you speak to those two things?
11: Certainly. uh, And you're quite right. I don't think the Iranians want a war. And I think there is a clear split between them and some of these groups. I think that, uh, you know, the alignment between Iran and Hezbollah is very different from what it is between Iran and the Houthis. The Houthis have clearly been uh, engaging in things that the Iranians have opposed. And I think also with this specific attack, that uh, the Iraqi militia uh, committed against the United States. The fact that it was taking place in Judean uh, space, I think, is also a red line for some of uh, the others in the so-called axis of uh, resistance. This is not a step that they wanted to take. So I think there's a lot of tensions within them. But I want to go back to something that Naira said that is critical, which is we shouldn't be here in the first place. Because had we pushed for a real ceasefire, not this type of a diplomacy in which we're doing some very meek behind the scenes pressure on Israel, but actually something real robust material pressure on the Israelis to go for a ceasefire, then we would not be in this situation today. Because these attacks against U.S. troops that have been escalating tremendously completely stopped during the six days that there was a ceasefire. So when the president's primary objective is to keep Americans safe and keep American troops safe. It should be very clear right now, continued bombardment and slaughter by Israel in Palestine is constituting a threat to U.S. national security because it's fueling these attacks against U.S. troops. To keep them safe, it's not just a game of deterrence and degrading. We should actually take away their incentives. And that's where a ceasefire is absolutely essential.
1: Right. And this comes at a time, Naira, when Iran has its own has its own issues. I mean, in, in some ways, it's at a war with its own people, with its own young women, with its own activists. I think there was a 20-something-year-old hanged uh, not too long ago in Iran. So this is all happening at a time when Iran is not exactly in a strong position domestically.
9: Oh, and Iran's economy has been crippled by international sanctions. Uh, uh, they, you know, couldn't even access COVID, COVID vaccines. The people of Iran have been suffering because of their regime's choices. But the choices of all of the other countries have not alleviated the suffering or provided humanitarian relief to the people of Iran. So they are really stuck in the worst place in all of this. You're also seeing that. Israel is still aligned with a lot of that regime change argument. So is Saudi. So our allies aren't necessarily in the same boat that the Biden administration is. So there's a lot of tension of how do you deal with a problem like Iran, where they essentially fund terrorist networks. They are literally— taking drones, sending them to Russia to then use in Ukraine. That's actually we're seeing reporting that the drone that killed the American soldiers is of the same type that gets sent to Russia.
1: Wow. Uh, it, it, I'm going to give you as uh, the last word on this, Trita, because all of this happens at the time when behind the scenes— uh, apparently, the Biden administration is trying to do this multifaceted deal that would create normalization between Saudi Arabia and Israel in exchange for a, a real move toward a Palestinian state with all sorts of other things in between, including a, a ceasefire, which you talked about a moment ago. Where does all that go now that we are doing what we're doing now militarily?
11: I have to be frank with you, Joy. I think that's actually part of the problem. Uh, we're offering. The Saudis, security guarantees. Americans are going to go and die for the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia and for MBS. The crown prince who beheaded uh, the Washington Post uh, uh, columnists. Uh, if this would profoundly deepen our involvement militarily in the region in a way that we actually have not seen in the past. This is not something that I think at all the American public would be in favor of. Uh, moreover, it is not going to create a Palestinian state. They're talking about a pathway to a Palestinian state. We've been on a pathway towards a Palestinian state for quite some time without any actual metralization of it. So to me, it sounds like it's the same old thing as before, but packaged differently.
1: Uh, It is such a complicated story. It is such a complicated region. It is always great to have expert voices. Trita Parsi, Naira Haq, thank you both very much. We'll be right back. And that's tonight's readout.
0: Today's news requires more facts, more context, and more analysis. The world's never been harder to understand. That's why it's never been more important to try. MSNBC. Understand more.